Hey, everybody, it's John. And thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks away so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right, hey y'all, it's five o'clock on Monday, and we are stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. Hey, I'm John Hall, and... God, I love this time of year. Can I July. just tell you? Is it, it is, is it June it or is, July? It's July. All right. It's which, July. It's uh, mid-July, which means that the tomatoes here in Jersey uh, are are coming into season. They're 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 bringing the big flavor, and that every day means a tomato sandwich, just lightly grilled white bread, a little bit of mayo. Which mayo? Big, We've big had this slices. discussion on the show before. Do you not know how many people we've gone down the QP versus Dukes versus Hellman's discussion with on this show every late July? No. So what Are you guys going me into something here? <laughs> I don't think we intend to, but no, I'm just I'm just head. I'm just here for so growing up, I well, think wait, like most houses you, you've, you've coaxed Zach into talking, so we should introduce okay. Zach. Oh so hi, yeah. Usually <laughs> Usually, Zach, we, 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 we run for like five minutes and then be like, and this is Zach, but, but we got you out of your shell. So we already. Yeah, worked. I want to hear. So Zach Mack just... of ABC Beer Co. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, welcome Thank you back. so much, guys. It's, a, it's great to be here. I, uh, you know, I have so many strong opinions on mayo, so I could. Right. Do you really? Back, so. Yeah. Well, I, what do you do? I honestly, it really depends. I can't believe we're blown up, blown off them with this, with this topic already. Well, of um, honestly, it depends for me. I. I I, I'm honestly That's not, not a mayonnaise to, brand. And that is not a mayonnaise brand, no. But it should. Uh, be. I honestly am one of those guys that I think QP has its place in certain certain dishes, yeah, I but, but I think like kind of more Duke's, cuisine though, right, Zach? Like definitely, I don't cuisines know cuisines that rely guy. on QP. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I've, and I've said that maybe certain pasta salads are better with it, depending on like what the base is. But I honestly think that a Duke's tomato sandwich is probably one of my new favorite things. So. So I have the problem here in Jersey. Um, so I know every state thinks this about themselves, but you're all wrong. Um, <clears throat> Jersey has good sandwiches, subs slash sandwiches yes. at every pizza place, every deli and every yes. convenience store. Yes, so, it's an embarrassment of sandwich riches in our in our exactly. state, which is why it makes me insane that places like Subway and even Jersey Mike's outside Point Pleasant have any success, because anywhere you are in New Jersey, you can get a good sandwich, at least one from one of 15 things near your house, your local convenience store, your local yes. deli or your local pizza place. Bodega, yeah. That being said, there is some available from Cisco five gallon bucket of industrial mayo that not everybody uses, 
that is the mayo I love. And I'll walk into a random place to try it out, you know, do one of the classic turkey, lettuce, tomato, mayo, salt, pepper, get home and be like, they use the mayo. And I've never learned the brand name or whatever, but I've never, it's definitely an only an industrial thing. Outside that, Jetro Jetro mayo is a beautiful thing. I've taken pictures with the. Is that it? I know the label's like red and white. So if that's what you're talking about. Well, Jetro is like Restaurant Supply Depot. Yeah. That may very well be it. Well, Jetro is the name of the store that people go to pick it up at. The brand there is usually like one of like, you know, any different types of stuff that gets sold. It's it's usually something like American. America the Beautiful yeah. or like some random name, but but it's perfect. The, there is a, I've but seen, outside like, that at like, home, I'm a Duke's guy, which I think yeah, is the painter's bucket's full of mayo. I was like, we all yeah. should be so lucky to to warrant yeah. a purchase of a of a painter's bucket full of mayo. And it's so good. So so good. So good. All right. So mayo done. Good. We check <laughs> that box for you, Holly. You're feeling comfortable with your tomato sandwich skills. Always. I mean, it's it's it, it is it is the beautiful time of year that just brings me a few moments of joy and peace and just comfort making and eating a tomato sandwich in July and August and hopefully into September, but the, the hotter months are where it, it, it really just where lives. The sweet spot is. Yeah. yeah. The, the key, the key is the tomato can never have been cold. No, right. Oh, it I, has to be anybody who's putting the tomatoes in the fridge, like just go yeah, to hell, no, but it has to be, Somewhere you picked it up that it was in the field, got to a table or a bucket or a basket, and now is on your bread. Um, all right, so tomato sandwich is done. Check. Happy July. Hi. Zach, I my first apartment in the city was on 13th and B, pal. Have we talked no about way. that in all our past things? I yeah, my think very first maybe apartment. when you pop by when we first met, you might I actually don't think I remember that about you though. So that might be the first yeah. I've heard of this. My very first New York City apartment where I received mail was the fourth floor of 13th and B. Wow. Um prior to the squatters riots. Oh, wow. So, so we were talking the, 80s. the idea, uh, 90, 90, 91. 91, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so in my vision of your neighborhood, which has clearly dramatically changed, the idea of somebody having a long tenure as the host of anything other than Mona's $2 Guinness night on Tuesdays confuses me. <laughs> so why don't you talk about your tenure of, and how many people are coming for your craft delicacies from around the world <laughs> to what is famously the best place to get heroin in New York City? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll say people are still showing up for the Mona nights. That's that's still a thing. It's a bluegrass these days. I don't think they still have two dollar Guinness night, but um, we uh, Thanks, we, we got lucky. I've been I've been living here. Uh, I've been in this neighborhood as long as I've been in New York, sixteen years, and okay. we opened this spot up twenty twelve. We had our 10th anniversary last year, if you can do the math. Um, uh, but Nobody could do that math. No, I know. It's <laughs> post-COVID. My brain doesn't work like that anymore. Um, yep. We've, we honestly are, we're, I consider myself one of the luckier guys in the biz because, and that's saying a lot, I suppose, but um, we kind of opened up, I think, at the perfect time. This neighborhood was, was like ready for it. We, you know, my business partner and I both only knew this neighborhood as New Yorkers, like ha- having lived here. And the industry was kind of like ready for what was happening. It made my job a little easier. Like looking, if I had the level of options and the number the number of breweries to work with that, that's available now and I was like just getting into the game, it would be so much more difficult than what it was when we opened up, which a very different playing field, as you all remember. 
2012. And the neighborhood, like I said, was ready for it. People wanted a place they could come and hang out. We always kind of leaned into the uh, the vibe that we were a neighborhood spot, not trying to be you know, holier than thou or talk down to anybody. And uh, it's stuck. I mean, we've we've continued that ethos through through today. So good for you. For better or so worse. So let's talk about things that have come and gone in your tenure in the area. Do you remember when Daniel Balud got it in his head that that he needed to do a craft beer bar and sausage place over on the Bowery? How many and events did you go to there? I mean, <laughs> every time they always, but it was a good place to get. Come on, man! It was a great place to get loaded. No, you know what I mean? Honest, like, the food like, was how great. did that come and go as fast as it did? Like, you know what I mean? I like, think... like, what do you see as the big change between? you know, what you were I, doing and what they were trying to do because they I tried the to hit for the fences. Yeah, I mean, the, absolutely. I mean, the my, the boring answer, and I always say this, I'm like, if Daniel Balud can't pay rent in East Village, I don't think anyone can. Um, Fair enough. And I think <laughs> I think the he probably had a pretty hot piece of real estate where he is on Bowery, just north, north of Houston there. But honestly, his he executed the sentence it so you just well. Said, the sentence you just said broke my brain. I know I, it's true, <laughs> but that broke my brain. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. The long term, the long old school New Yorkers all think of this neighborhood in, in in very different ways. And like like I said, I've only been here 16 years. I wasn't alive like a lot of the time that people talk about, like the you know the the older days in, in this neighborhood. So for me, it's a it's a much shorter time frame. But even okay. in the in the short time I've been here, seeing how much it's changed, like I can see now, like the number of Michelin starred restaurants or the the number of like bespoke cocktail bars everyone always like there's different harbingers of doom that come through uh in different phases i've noticed like when i first got here it was the banks and the drugstores and now yeah. those can't afford the rent so now it's becoming like we, it was like then it was weird co-working spaces and since offices are dead that's kind of like going away too and now it's just sort of like what the landlords see as ratcheting up the rent as much as they can um, as quick as they can as quick as they can in sort of yeah. like a collaborative sense some might say um, you, but, you go on yeah no it's it's we're lucky we just resigned a 10-year lease and and i feel fortunate that you know everyone else around us who's kind of doing similar concepts it's starting to thin out and it's like it's a major bummer it, it's never i mean in this industry and what, and what we do you know new york it's like your locals your local i don't feel competition with a beer bar four blocks away because you know it, it's it's a very like we're a community and we kind of we're all on the same ship together like you you know when you want to go someplace. I don't I don't find competition from beer bars uh, even that are you know within spitting distance of my of my spot. So to see spots like Good Beer and uh, like One Mile House and stuff like that, those kind of kind of start to winnowing out over the last few years has really been tough for me to watch for many reasons. Like I like the the people that work there and that that run them, but also it's sort of just like shows what the, what's happening in the neighborhood. And I've staked a lot of. Uh, I staked a lot of of claim in this neighborhood, and and I've you know put a lot of effort into sticking around here. So I'm just hoping it's yeah. not an inevitability thing. So so let's go back to so 2012 when you opened. Carton was the redheaded stepchild of the you know we were the sixth son of a five brewery town, and then by 2015 it's an embarrassment of riches around you, and. <laughs> And then, you know, today, still one of the greatest breweries in the last 10 years is Other Half, right? So so they're still your neighbor, and they're now on two or three sides of you. What have you seen, like, let's just talk about kind of if you pick your decade, 
Um, John, I don't know if you're keeping track of the math, but if you keep, if you pick your decade, pick like a, a unique and try to keep it to New York. This is the one we wanted. This is the one we chopped the most wood with kind of like six points, 2012, and then go to today and just, you know, do the, do a year by year. That's when this came on the scene. Can you, can you do that? Is that a preposterous question? And what's been that up and down progression over the decade? For and local let the, spots, let let the guy get his chart graphs and his binders out first. Yeah. I, so I, I, I like bet a, you there's a feel year by year. That first year, what we're trying to get, in my head, it's going to be six points, right? And then no, in fourteen I, or fifteen, it'll be other half. And you know, what was the support? What's the community been like? And where are we today? No, you're absolutely. It's it's honestly, it's funny you mentioned that. I think about this as a business owner. You think about your business in a lot of different ways, like the good years, the bad years, like we opened up five months before Sandy went this out. So oh, there's a huge, wow. strong bookend at one side of it. Um, but that also was, you know, I, like I said, I think the perfect timing thing I said was, I think in terms of New York's identity as a beer city, we were within like six months, even probably at like a perfect point to, to jump into what we did. And you're right, like six point when we first opened up, like the local dominant force was six point um and and brooklyn brewery to some degree like and in their more adventurous side but it's crazy to think like what we were working with on a local scale the first year where we were open and and seeing that like now i'm i'm you know you become very nostalgic and wistful as i get up in years and as my bar gets up in years and i start looking back at like some of the old like things will pop up on my phone like like the time hop will show me these photos I had taken that we were putting up on Instagram. And it's just crazy to see what we were selling and what was available back then. It was like Otter Creek and like these beers that have been gone for a long time now. But wow. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that I haven't even Good one. That's about. nostalgic for me. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> we we, just, did a, we just did an hour. We just did a seven hour marathon with Brian Yeager about the end of Anchor Steam. So that's oh, wow. kind of where I was, you know, that's kind of in my head of, well, that factors in even pre anchor was pre New York or pre New York for me, but also when the earliest day is like one of the things we knew we had to <laughs> anchor ourselves to was one of those brands because they were, they were just everything for, yeah. there wasn't a lot to work with. New York was a hard market to enter. I moved here from Montreal where the city was like relatively robust with a lot of like local and more exciting beer options. And I had grown up in Boston where, you know, Boston beer brain supreme. And there was like this idea of like non-macro is sort of a given. And you know, I got to New York and it wasn't, it wasn't completely desolate, given, but yeah. it wasn't exactly a given. Exactly. <laughs> well, as long as you consider Guinness, you're fine. Yeah, Guinness. <laughs> and it was like the exciting stuff back then. It's like working with like your with Captain Lawrence and a lot of these breweries that like really oh. like forged me in the fire. Um, and it's like it's funny now. It's like talking about the good old days, like like uh, you know the glory quarterback days of of what was happening then, because it was really just the beginnings of everything rocketing up, and uh, and just explosive growth because. You know, we had Sandy happen, obviously, that was the do or die moment for us, literally, and we we made it through, and I'll never forget the year after that felt markedly different than our first few months, because we had our first meeting with Single Cut, and then, you know, we've got other half coming by, and those guys show up in their in their car and deliver us the first kegs we got from them from the back of a, from the back of a van or whatever, yep. and, you know, here we are, you know, 12 years later, and they're, you know, they're ripping it. So yep. it's the, the, like, and you can't tell like what's going to go. Like that was one of the things I look back to. It was like, what was the secret potion? Like what made it like happen and what didn't? Because you have, you know, like the the first wave of it being like the Finbacks and the other halves that are still out there and, and 
growing to their own to their own levels and then other breweries that seem to have everything down right like your folk beers that have like you know just like didn't didn't take off and then you know sadly disappeared and it's since then it's become it's funny like watching them the we were so lucky to be part of the local growth and something that we wanted to support and then I feel like leading into COVID, all of a sudden, it felt like a lot of other markets finally decided they needed to be in New York. And right. it became like like a, a much louder conversation, a much louder room um, with, with a lot more things offered. And honestly, like I, I, I kind of it muddled with like the COVID experience in my head. But now I'm starting to realize that like it's still it's sort of just like a new normal. So it's yeah. been a freaky, so- freaky decade. So let me ask you a question because this is a a great point of point of reference, right? So, without getting deep into it, I think I've already noted other half is one of the unique and truly original success stories from this current boom. But so, if if we're going to talk about haze and its thing, um, taking things like Lawson's and Alchemist out of it, because I don't think really that's what we're talking about. You talk about kind of your other half trillium treehouse, whatever on the West Coast, whatever down South, kind of boom. As a guy with the pedigree you've just described, right, from Montreal, probably a diverse palette um, and a guy who, you know, approached things from a Michael Jackson lens, <laughs> um, but not from a... wow not from whatever but um but you know what i mean so so when this came on do you remember were you did you fall in love with it and it's kind of hedonistic zest for all things fun like some of us or were you fuck that it's ugly and how is your brain advanced or changed on that as your you know like i said one of your locals guys who approached you in a car are the granddaddies, daddies, or godfathers of that movement that's now so, so everybody. Yeah. It's it's so funny because like people said it'd be one thing if you're just supporting them because they were local, but like I think everyone can agree that a lot of these guys are still in business because they're they're pretty capable brewers. They make good stuff and I helps that it's super fresh. Them. Like, yeah, I, and it's and it, honestly, yeah. people, it's like we've always sort of functioned and it's always made the most sense to me to sort of function as a satellite tap room. We get overloaded with tourists. I think we benefit with a place named alphabet city beer co. We kind of benefit from the weird, weirdly from the confusion that people assume we're a brewery, but also because when you go, go to Google anything, we pop up top. So um, we get a lot of tourists and it sort of serves us when we have, you know, like 400 cans, uh, give or take on, on skew in the, in the fridges. And then the 12 rotating drafts, people can kind of come and if they can't make it, if they're in town to check out a bunch of breweries, they can try a bunch of things and uh, without having to like cart around the boroughs and, you know, physically sit in each, in each tap room if they don't have the time. So it's always made sense for me to support them. And like, it felt good supporting them because I could see that, but that's what my customers enjoyed. I, I mean, my palate is what it is, but I like the beer. I like the beer. And I don't think it ever, I mean, ever, there's always the talk of it. Like at a certain point, you know, you go from having like six breweries in the five boroughs to having like 50 or whatever we have now, 60. I don't even know. Um, and Justin, what's the like, number? Do you know? Justin, know only knows the, Justin only knows the number of farm breweries. Right? I don't know the number off the top of my head. <laughs> it's Sorry. like 50 ish though, isn't it? Something yeah, around that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
it was 46 the last I remember count. That was a while ago, but I, I can't keep what's up and down. Now it's not even, it's not just up anymore, right? It's also down. So, yeah, um, yeah. but, but, uh, but I believe, and I don't know for the five boroughs, but nationally, I believe we're still picking up in spite of the current level of attrition. Oh, it seems like we're better insulated to this. I mean, you're going to business in New York. It seems like you have your shit together a little more than most other places, yeah. not to be the New Yorker. Well, but the other thing is, the other thing is in New York, if you make it two years, you'll make it 10 to 20, right? It's those first Absolutely. two years. Absolutely. Of, you know what I mean? Like if you've made it two years, then your rent is the cheapest thing because they can't move it yet. Right. Right. Unless but there's some every, huge every disastrous start, thing behind the scenes. But yeah. every year you start any business in New York city, you're literally planning three years to get to the point where the business can afford the rent. Then you get right. to think about profitability. Um, right. And then at let's five years are to, an institution. <laughs> let's go back to we know that of all these people, um, I have an affinity for, I've loved for a lot of them, but you know I have a, I have an affinity for people like Vaccaro and uh, Jesse Ferguson. Have you guys? Ha, are you still? And does the law keep you? Are you still just beer? Are you fucking around with cocktails? And have you been able to with guys like Vaccaro and Jesse fucking around with? canned and spirits have you been able to dip your toes in those waters and has that been something you've been trying to do with the it's progression funny. it's funny we are still by the letter of the law the sla we are a beer and wine only license right. um which is it works for us because we you know we've always focused heavily on the retail side it still does very well for since covid retail's really taken off for us in a way that it, it, it was always busy before but much busier now um but as like taste change and stuff like that, like we're looking at a, a generation of, and, and like this, this kind of bleeds into like thoughts I've been having about beer lately as, it, as in general, as, as more things go on. But we're, you know, when I got into this business at 25, 26, it was the hot new thing. And everyone who was in college, just out of college was the beer fan because it was the hot new thing. And now that's not like a, like, again, it's like sort of like a given that people are like, well, beer isn't new and exciting to a lot of like, younger people mm-hmm. in the same way that it was to me when I was their age. So they'll drink it and they appreciate it and they like it, but it's not with like the same fervor and they kind of spread themselves out a little bit more. So we have like kind of, we at the moment are limited by our license. So we can't mess around with like cocktails on site, but I have another business out on governor's Island where we do. Um, but the future will probably try to figure out some way where we can incorporate not changing our identity. Cause I never, I never want to be, focused on cocktails that I want that to be what people know us as, because that's a whole other beast that deserves its own level of attention instead of attention. But I do appreciate now that we've got even people who are diehard beer people like our, my age, our age group, who uh, also appreciate a night off drinking wine. Like we've always, I like, I are drinking wine, drinking cocktails. I came from the wine world before I was in beer and I'm like already, I have a meeting after this podcast to go in and go over our wine list, fully revamp it, have some fun with it, put on some really weird, freaky shit onto our list so that when people come in, they don't feel like they're like, Oh, I'm, you know, getting Franzia from a box behind the bar. Cause they have to have it. Um, <laughs> right. It's great to be a beer I'll, and I'll be like, well, these guys get wine too. I'll tell you. So, you know, on Tuesdays I roam around with one, cause we still self-distribute down here in Jersey. But so on Tuesdays I roll around with one of my salesmen and what my guy up North took me into this really kind of neat little, like just too small to really be a business wine, liquor, and beer store because that's how Jersey's laws work. And a guy oh, yeah. named Mike was running it. And he clearly was a retired old lover of wine. 
But he had three different bottles from Dr. Frank. Oh wow. In this Love tiny him. little in this tiny little store that only had 40 options. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, I guess you lost me for the day. I'm gonna be sitting here talking about fucking Riesling in the Finger Lakes till you drag me out of my hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Frank's an OG. Uh, we love, oh, great, dude, great he's, stuff. He's my hero. He's my hero. Yeah, he, he did the yeoman's work there for New, New York wine. But I'll tell you what, man, it was a fucking, I swear to God, the place has 20 beers, 40 bottles of wine, and 40 bottles of spirits. And three of those wines are, you know, the OG Riesling <laughs> producer of America. And I was like, the fuck is going on in this joint? <laughs> anyway, yeah, keep that up. I th- So this guy has rocketed up my list of places i must make happy because he also takes the wine seriously so keep that up that's a big thing you know you so, can only you can only benefit so let from me ask you is there happy. no loophole is there no loophole since they pay taxes as beer where you could get into the seltzer world i'm sure both uh both captain the, lawrence and interborough aren't playing that angle but has the, have you been tempted into that? Could you do that? And where's your thoughts on that part of I'm I am no um I'm no liquor lawyer, but I, I I believe the understanding in New York still is that whatever you classify your product as and like whatever the base is, like if it's yeah. if it's a malt base, like you can still classify it to be served under beer licenses, but if it's spirit gotcha. base or wine base, it's it, right. it falls under something different. I can do wine. We work actually we work with a brand now. Um oh my god, uh Lama, Ramona? this guy who no, no, llama, not tipsy llama. Oh my god, what's it called? It's a Jesus Christ. It's, tipsy it's llama is a good name. Quick, tipsy Justin, llama is a tra- good name. Trademark that so I can make a tipsy hazy l- under that name. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a local guy. Yeah, actually, tipsy llama is already. That's it. I'm pretty sure this is it. God damn it! Now, I know it's already yeah, got cancel the that trademark, account. Justin. It's not. Uh, you know, tipsy llama is someone else. This isn't the company. God, this is gonna kill me. I can't believe I can't remember the name right now. We uh, just we'll started picking back. them up. That's all right. Nobody listens That's, to the sorry, show it's, anyway. It's, fine. it's it's velvet llama. I knew it. Velvet, velvet llama. Velvet That's, llama, which sounds a little more classy as opposed. Sounds kind of very whitish. I hate to be this guy because I don't know that I'm right, but isn't cashmere from llamas? That's rabbits. Is it rabbits? All right, never mind. Yeah. I was going to be like, is it, wouldn't cashmere llama be the way to go if you were looking for is it? No, 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 sorry, sorry. I'm not thinking rabbits. No, velvet. Or, I'm sorry, I'm totally wrong. Velveteen is rabbits. I don't know. Velveteen I'm thinking rabbits. something I don't else. Know. There's, there's... Llamas come from red No, pajamas. but cashmere isn't wool. That's a myth. Hold on. You guys talk. John asked Cashmere is camel, right? Camel. Cashmere is not camel. No, that, that, no. that would be camel hair. I was thinking pashmina, too. That was what camel. I was thinking. <laughs> I got a camel hair coat. I got a camel hair blazer. <laughs> cashmere break, goats. All right. Break it's it out. Llama. Break it out every, it's not llamas, every Easter. But cashmere is from goats. All right, guys. Cash, cashmere. Real cashmere. Real, Real cashmere. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. Wait. Yeah. Have goats. we met? And I know we've met. You know I'm not wearing fake cashmere. Yeah. Um, anyway, back to it. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's so I, this this <laughs> company is great. It's a bunch of uh, the guy. Who found out the company's father used to own Jules et Jim, the really, really great French bistro over on St. Mark's Place. Yep. yep. And he uh, he realized that there was a lot of bars, specifically in East Village, he said, that really wanted, that had the, the licenses that wouldn't allow them to serve canned cocktails. So he went back and figured out like a process to come up with these, these ingredients. We have like a spicy margarita. There's a espresso martini now. They got Moscow Mule. Nice. Um, like the popular, you know, the stuff that the, the people like. 
and for uh, those of you that kind of survived to put that out there for those of you that aren't city fluent you could make the argument that that's not only local it's your neighborhood right it's it's literally yeah same marks although we'd all say it's the village not alphabet city it's yeah (laughs) it's your neighborhood yeah absolutely Um, all right so john i've been cutting you off all day what did you want to ask him i've been curious from like a bar owner standpoint on how we all know you brought up covid before right and we know that covid has uh, you know, hurt business and all, all the, the, the decimation that happened in the restaurant space. But I'm curious about, um, in addition to that, um, how consumer behavior has changed. Like I was talking to Michael Roper from Hopleaf uh, in Chicago uh, a while back, and he said the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that he noticed is that people aren't staying out as late as they used to. And so, you know, a 2 a.m. last call is now somewhere around like 11 o'clock um, because people just aren't there from that 11 to 2 like they like they used to be. And I'm wondering if you've seen shift in consumer behaviors post-COVID. Like you were mentioning you're doing a lot more to-go sales. Um, yeah, you, we... It, it, like, what's it been like? What's it like from your side of the bar on how people are acting? Um, it's yeah, I mean, it's unquestionable. And like I said, I was like, we keep saying like, oh, things are back to normal, but it's it's becoming very, very clear how it's just a new normal. Things are very different than they were in, you know, January of 2020. It, people are are different when they go out. It feels like for us, because we always were a unique concept. We had the retail bar hybrid. Um, and now I feel like we are more solid, like we always felt that way. We had a lot of customers who were like much more retail heavy and much more on-premise heavy. But now I feel like we are much more solidly 50-50. Like we, I see a lot more cans going straight out the door as opposed to people coming in and hanging out. Um, the place never feels quite as busy as it did pre-COVID. But then I realized we also have the outdoor seating that we've kept in our front and we have a back patio. So I've noticed that now we pretty much fill out our outdoor seating areas, even in the relatively cooler months. Huh. Um, people like sitting outside still and drinking a beer, which I guess kind of speaks to like sidewalk culture in New York city or something. Um, but I'll I'll tell you that. So you guys are having a conversation that doesn't need necessarily my input, but what I've seen being somebody who's kind of, let that stop dabbling from, (laughs) but I want to get to where, what, what, what Zach's saying there, because it's kind of where my heart is right now. So for us who aren't really allowed to be restaurants, except we have to close when restaurants close, and we're not really allowed to be liquor stores, except we have to follow the liquor store laws of, you know, not giving out this and that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. What I saw was when COVID first happened, everybody acted like it was a snow day. They went out and bought eight cases of beer, put them in their basement and thought this was going to be the best weekend of their life. Then they lived with those beers they didn't drink that first weekend for two years and then they were let back out of the world and the whipsaw we're seeing down here in jersey although nothing's more true than what you were saying john there is no two o'clock bar anymore but um but then everybody's like no i only drink when i'm out with i drink beer when i'm out with friends and and the problem with that is that's where a good cocktail maker or some shitty seltzer can take that down Add to that the inflation of the border recession slash war 
climate and you had food prices move way out faster than beer prices ever could. And you have this kind of, it sounds like what you're saying, like your retail picked up and now you're kind of 50, 50 and that's what we're seeing. But we, we had to go all into stores and then we had to go all into restaurants and blah, 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 blah. But I think the future for beer drinking is getting back to the fire pit style drinking, like five or six friends outside talking, drinking beer kind of thing. And, and when you say people like being outside in the cold, I hear very hopeful words. Does that connect yeah. to what you're, you know, what you're thinking when you say that? It does. I mean, we even pre-COVID, John's right. I mean, like the earlier hours thing is true. We were never a very late bar, but it's definitely feels like crowds are going home much, much earlier for our purposes. Like the cocktail bars might stay open a little busier, may stay busier a little later, but it's not the same. But, and we've always sort of kind of, because we have like a big communal table inside, always been the kind of spot that people have chosen to come with their friends and groups so they can kind of like, they do growing, going away parties and birthday parties, but also now too, just like on any given like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, groups of like four to seven friends who just like show up and kind of hang out is becoming much more common. And I, and I think you're right too. It's like, it's a, people are, you know, out of necessity forced, like people of like certain demographics and older, younger, doesn't really matter. Money's tighter for a lot of people because not just because they're not making as much money as they need to, but also because things cost more beers, certainly there. We have to put, we have to charge a lot more for, for pints than we did when we opened up. Um, and you know, I'm a child of the the 2008 crash. I moved to New York basically that year, right out of college, and Oof. I remember the vibe Oof, then, God, feeling. Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> it was probably the best case scenario in a lot of ways because I only it's just like you start from the bottom, right? Well, the uh, worst, well at least I wasn't the worst five thing years is into your a career. Money became valueless at all, but like six restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was a very that was a it was an interesting time to to be young in New York, but it was also a great thing because. Now I'm I'm sort of seeing the parallels that like I saw then where people aren't going out or they aren't spending as much out because they, I mean they're spending as much out but they're not doing as much as that like twenty dollars well, doesn't get you as much as it did you know five well, like five years ago. The story I always tell people when they ask about the pain is if you and I had a standing date around here where we met at the local pub and you know say Tuesday nights would have a cheddar burger and two beers each leave $50 and on a $6 beer, seven, six, two $6 beers and a $7 burger, leave 25 bucks each and be tipping well and have had a good night. Everybody knew us and we were in and out an hour or two. Over the last three years, the burger became $16 and the beer became seven down here. And because of Jersey's stupid laws, we're always going to be tethered by the distributor's ability to buy TVs and refrigerators and keep Coors Light a dollar. So right. you can't go further. So you and I are now having one burger and one beer and having the same night out. Right. And we're seeing that more than anything else, which is, you know, which is why I guess I'm leaning to let's all just argue about, you know, let's all have a couple beers and argue philosophy for a bit. Yeah, that's that's when beer drinking happens, right? Exactly. I, I like when you bring up that cheeseburger story, though, only because it makes me want to go have a proper bacon cheeseburger. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, Come on down. Really quick, though, on consumer uh, uh, preferences yeah, and changes and all of that. Has Have you seen any 
impact on uh, on on the business uh, with the allowance of legal weed? Um, yeah, good question. You know, it's so funny, and I've said this for a long time too. I don't know if it's East Village or if the people I hang out with or the section of the yeah, people. It's the always who been legal there. Yeah. Like, weed has always felt quite legal in the, in a yeah. philosophical sense. And now that it actually is, like I, it, it all happened around the same time COVID. So I can't tell if it was that, that you know, the, the you know, puff and pass or whatever, the weird weed bodegas that have opened up like in droves in my neighborhood. But Honestly, like the, everyone in my immediate circle around us was always smoking quite a bit of weed. And, and I don't know if I can blame weed legalization right. for the changes. I'm sure it's certainly factored into like, I'm having a night in because it's too expensive to go out, but I do have these edibles here or I've got a bunch of things, you know, I've got a vape here and I'm going to just like hit the couch and hit play on Netflix and do whatever. Um, and maybe that's like part of it, but also too, I've seen because of the way it's, it is legal on the street and people are out doing it, people just kind of like stepping outside in between beers, having a joint and stepping back inside. And I don't know if that's like, again, like culturally something they would have like walked around the block or like been surreptitious with it before. And now they kind of have just incorporated into the, to the night out like they would have, you know, like a Mar Marlboro in 2019. Um, so I don't know. Well, I always saw it go hand in hand, but I'm sure like in the bigger picture, I'm missing something because macro wise, like there is a give and take, right? Well, John, keep in what? mind the neighborhood he's in pre-Giuliani, heroin was legal. So yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a weird, Look at you bringing us back full circle. Weird change. <laughs> but so let me ask you this. Do you offer safety glasses and the better NAs around there? Yes, we do. Actually, we've focused on that uh, since earlier. Like once it started becoming available, it became clear how much people wanted them. And we've actually only ever had incentive to provide more of them as they become more available right. and and honestly too like thankfully everything that comes out it's like it's just a rising tide it's like all very good um, yeah so we'll, we'll fight about that yeah, we'll fight yeah, about that in a... person but what i will tell you so for me <laughs> that's where that makes sense right because even i who am the biggest advocate of you know beer drinking and really don't jive with weed as well as people think i do I understand the argument that if it's a Tuesday night and you're just looking to bullshit for a couple hours at whatever, the move is a five milligram edible and one of, you know, a safety glasses IPA because yeah. you can quantify and control that experience. And the worst part about the, the only downside about beer, in my opinion, is when you're having a good time, more of it changes the time you're having right like yes. if, if you know nine out of ten times if you and i are going to have an ipa and go home i'm fine but if the conversation's good and fun's good and i order a second and then a third ipa i'm probably ordering a fourth and a fifth <laughs> right you know what i mean and it's now exponential, you're there. exponential yes yeah. then you're booking flights like, and yeah yeah all of tonight's potential is <laughs> five milligrams of weed and i'll just get a, a beer bloat on in the form of na ipa that's why we I only do the show in person a, these days a couple a of times nice a year. <laughs> how there's a nice control there. But yeah, the zeal with which I'll attack a 9% IPA all night if the time is good makes me understand that impact of legal weed on drinking. Does that make sense? That does make sense. No, I mean, crossfading is like definitely, I mean, that's, that's something people have different levels of control and like not everyone, I, I look at it like another 
like per, per, perspective problem too because i'm like you like i can go out if i find that eight and a half nine percent beer that i'm like loving i'll have six of them if that's like where the night is it's a friday night and i've got good company i'll keep doing that but there's lots of people who like that's just not in the cards for they were never that way right. they're like they're they they love beer they drink beer but they were never a six beer person so like again i, I think perspective wise in the industry i'm like yeah of course i'm with my beer friends i'm gonna go out and drink lots of beer right. uh, and weed cuts into that in a way that i think for some people that that might not be an issue but I, again i don't know i i feel like yeah. Maybe this is, shows I need to hang out with more of my wine friends or my cocktail friends and and get a better feel. Oh for no, what's the wine's happening the on the worst. Street. The wine, wine is definitely is for the worst because seven fifties. Because if we're having a oh, great yeah. time and we're drinking a good wine, now I'm seeing Friday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now it's like, well, we should have gotten a Magnum. Let's go get a Magnum now, and then fuck, there's no way back. Yeah. And what are you going to do? Just leave it there? You're going to finish the That's bottle? Right. You know, it's, it's there Corvette, the Corvette in my drawer is the biggest myth in my house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, There's no off position on the Augie switch. No. Well, yes, there is. There is. Yeah. Just... Well, no, it's the emergency stop button. It is. Yeah, there is. There's, there's, yeah. there's a parachute. There's a parachute. There's an anchor and there's a... Do you know? Do you know what the Bugatti Veyron is? The a car. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a the car. Bugatti Veyron is a twelve-cylinder supercar, ridiculous thing. And the neatest thing—the I'm not a car guy, but the thing that's always attractive about that is there's a mode on that car when you valet it, where only six of its cylinders are active. So that so that the guy can't get so it you to can't, do what so it's you supposed can't do, to do. A, a Ferris yeah, Bueller's so, yeah right exactly I just I thought that was I was like now that's some fancy options but yeah well, it's also I, like I, it's also I when you can leave you and you have a governor on the truck yeah, you know like exactly. you can only hit so high yeah I have a valet <laughs> I have a valet key for my nights out but if I accidentally bring the twelve cylinder key yeah that you're you're in trouble you're in, you're threatened <laughs> um. <laughs> All right, so the bad news is we have to tie we up. To we, go. Are, we are at our 45-minute mark. We appreciate you coming on. Next time, we'll do this probably with you with beers because we've done that in the past. What episodes did we do from your shop? We were in there years ago, weren't we? Am I remembering yeah. that, wrong? I think you guys we might have been a New Belgium event. You guys recorded something for that. I maybe I'm wrong. Well, okay. It was it was Allagash. It was Jason it was Allagash. Allagash. That was it. Is this yeah. this is back when Justin was still on the Allagash payroll? Justin has switched, <laughs> exactly. by the way. He's saying terrible shit about Allagash these days. Aren't we? But I feel like while, we're on the Allagash payroll, aren't we? All of us talking. We, we are. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'm contributing nope. to the Allagash payroll through my original <laughs> beer purchases. ever imprinted yeah. on me like Allagash. Every time they're on the show, bar like two, blind, I'm like, oh, it's Allagash. So they definitely <laughs> do their job right. Maybe it was just paying Amen. Kennedy to send me enough beer those first five years. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Tell them, you know, clean up all the clutter you and I just did. Give them the address, the emails, the all that stuff. Then Kennedy will beg for our Patreons and we'll all see you next Monday at five. So yeah, thank go. you guys for having me. Great conversation. And and hopefully we'll have another great one over beers next time. But find us over ABC Beer Co. or Alphabet City Beer Co. down on Avenue C between 6th and 7th Streets in the East Village uh, on all the socials. Come hang out. We have fun little events. We got pop-up food like all the cool bars do now and, uh, you know, a beer or two lying around. So come and say hi. I love it. Kennedy, tell them how to give us five stars and money. 
Yeah, go on iTunes, search, uh, or I guess it's a podcast, not iTunes anymore. Uh, search Still the Spear, give us five stars. You can reach out to us at Still the Spear Podcast at gmail.com. Um, what else? All the social media is at Still the Spear. Justin, yeah. remember, uh, remember, how, remember how good you look when they send us a letter. Yes, we haven't had any of those in a while. Steal the Spear podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> uh, Cass is not here this week, but uh, yeah. And then uh, most importantly, patreon.com slash Steal Spear. And yeah, thanks. We'll, uh, we'll hopefully be in Alphabet City soon and having beers with Zach and recording some more episodes. All right, y'all, get at us. Here.